commitment to the most basic of principles. Would we stand up for the sovereignty of nations? Would we stand up for the right of people who live free from naked aggression? Would we stand up for democracy? One year later, we know the answers. Yes, we would stand up for sovereignty, and we did. Yes, we would stand up for the right of people to live free from aggression, and we did. And we would stand up for democracy, and we did. And yesterday, I had the honor to stand with President Zelensky in Kyiv to declare that we will keep standing up for these same things, no matter what. When President Putin ordered his tanks to roll into Ukraine, he thought we would roll over. He was wrong. The Ukrainian people are too brave. America, Europe, a coalition of nations from the Atlantic to the Pacific were too unified. Democracy was too strong. Instead of an easy victory he perceived and predicted, Putin left the burnout tanks and Russian forces in delay and its disarray. He thought he'd get the finalization of NATO. Instead, he got the NATOization of Finland and Sweden. He thought NATO would fracture and divide. Instead, NATO was more united and more unified than ever, than ever before. He thought he could weaponize energy to crack your resolve, Europe's resolve. Instead, we're working together to end Europe's dependence on Russell fossil, Russian fossil fuels. He thought autocrats like himself were tough and leaders of democracy were soft. And then he met the iron will of America and the nations everywhere that refused to accept the world governed by fear and force. He found himself at war with a nation led by a man whose courage would be forged in fire and steel, President Zelensky. President Putin, President Putin is confronted with something today that he didn't think was possible a year ago. The democracy of the world have grown stronger, not weaker. But the autocrats of the world have grown weaker, not stronger, because in the moments of great upheaval and uncertainty, that knowing what you stand for is most important, and knowing who stands with you makes all the difference. The people of Poland know that, you know that. In fact, you know, you know it better than anyone here in Poland, because that's what solidarity means, to partition and oppression when the beautiful city was destroyed after the Warsaw Uprising during decades under the iron fist of communist rule, Poland endured because he stood together. That's how brave leaders of the opposition and the people of Belarus continue to fight for their democracy. That's how the resolve of Moldovan people, the resolve of the people of Moldova to live in freedom
He doubts whether NATO can remain unified. But there should be no doubt. Our support for Ukraine will not waver. NATO will not be divided, and we will not tire. President Putin's craven lust for land and power will fail. And the Ukrainian people...
across Ukraine. 
face of Russia's cruel bombardment. We stand for the millions of refugees of this war who found a welcome in Europe and the United States, particularly here in Poland. Ordinary people all across Europe did whatever they could to help and continue to do so. Polish businesses, civil society, cultural leaders, including the First Lady of Poland, who's here tonight, have led with the heart and determination, showcasing all that's good about the human spirit. Madam First Lady, we love you. Thank you all. I'll never forget last year visiting with refugees from Ukraine who had just arrived in Warsaw. Seeing their faces, being frozen and afraid, holding their children so close, worrying they may never see their fathers, their husbands, their brothers, their sisters again. In that darkest moment of their lives, you and people, Poland, often. between nothing less than limitation and possibilities. The kind of possibilities that come when people who live not in captivity but in freedom. 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 There is no sweeter word than freedom. There is no nobler goal than freedom. There's no higher aspiration than freedom. Americans know that and you know it. And all that we do now must be done so our children and grandchildren will know it as well. Freedom. The enemy of the tyrant and the hope of the brave and the truth of the ages. Freedom. Stand with us. We will stand with you. Let us move forward with faith and conviction and with an abiding commitment to be allies, not of darkness but of light, not of oppression but of liberation. Not of captivity, but yes, of freedom. May God bless you all. May God protect our troops. And may God bless the heroes of Ukraine and all those who defend freedom around the world. Thank you, Poland. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. God bless you all. That was President Biden, who was speaking in Poland regarding the war in Ukraine. And he was speaking to the fact that Poland has 
been hosting over a million refugees from Ukraine and the magnanimity of the generosity and kindness from this war that Poland has shown. And he recently had been also in Kiev. But today he spoke to them clearly about the impact that the war itself has had. And thanked them for all they have been doing. And there he stood outside with people listening to him. It isn't easy to get over to the location where he is currently. And they didn't even speak about his travels to very many people because of how treacherous it is to have attended. And Putin spoke before at a different location, clearly. He spoke before and had a very different tone, clearly, because his direction is a much different direction. He clearly wants a prolonged engagement and spoke to the fact that the United States is not engaging in its military responsibilities, but clearly the United States is taking an approach much different. The United States doesn't want to be militarized because we clearly understand as the United States that military engagements are not good for the earth, good for humanity, and good for overall existence of planetary inhabitants. And so he called President Biden for peace and explained why and why it is necessary. Having said that, this is the second segment in what is the day two of President's Week. I know some people think President's Day is clearly just the last of President's Weekend. But no, I will be having several segments today, and if not, even more so throughout the week. Even maybe a couple of episodes on the importance of the presidency. So this was poignant and unexpected. Interestingly enough, this was an interruption of the broadcast that was expected. So there may be others, you never know, of what the state of the world is. President Biden had recently given a State of the Union address to the United States and what his update was for America. But this was uh, particularly important because the multilateral efforts that have been occurring with the situation in Ukraine 
it was important that he would have said something beyond what the United States is engaging in, because there are more than just the United States in terms of countries participating in helping to qualm the war in Ukraine. So his is one country that he leads the effort in, participating in. And it shows that he continues to take it seriously. He knows the, as I said, magnanimity of the situation. But that he also understands that Poland has been one of the countries, the country that has taken most of the refugees. And that's why he spoke to the 1.5 million refugees that Poland has accepted. Interestingly enough, recently there was a release of information that just over 500,000 refugees have exited Ukraine. And so one can see that refugees are not just exiting Ukraine, they are exiting from other countries, surrounding countries as well. So that's one of the facets of information that he was privy to. And with that, I end this segment from the Dew Point Report, the Digital Electronic World Point Report. This is your hostess, Margarita. And welcome back to another segment of the Dew Point Report, the Digital Electronic World Point Report, where today I'm talking about the Office of the Presidency of the United States of America, particularly because yesterday was President's Day, and on the heels of President's Day weekend, one would think that frequently there is only a holiday that has resolved itself at the end of the day itself. But there was a time when, as a country, we used to celebrate President's Day for an entire week, giving our leaders more celebratory space. Now, I know what you're thinking, many of you. Have we not yet arrived at that moment where we have already reconciled our truths to our historic paths, our past, our previous sense of what those paths were, are often not meant to rediscover themselves but here's the situation. We cannot linger in those truths very long. For the very sense that once we have had those civil discussions, those truths that sometimes are unruly, they are unpleasant to discover. Yet important to know, history itself is not often pleasant to be aware of. No, no, don't get me wrong. Many times our history 
it has a sense of it's so important it must be known because it is what gives us that sense of understanding of who we are where we've been and what our legacy is that we represent as people but we are more than just the flag that we carry at a ceremony we are certainly the culture that we are brought up in and additionally more so and moreover we are an amalgamation of cultural sharings now because we are A catharsis, I would say. The American culture is a catharsis because it isn't just one culture. It truly is layering upon layering of many cultures in many ways. Because as any person would say, that once they find their ancestry, once they begin to discover which relative was then connected to which relative and to the other relative and historically then this was discovered to that connective tissue and thereon thereto it's actually quite a plethora of historical background for many now it's difficult for some who can't find any legacy because it becomes a little bit of a difficult understanding of then how is that depth of learning to be able to see, well, now, how does it become the a thickness and richness, just like a foamy latte that one wants to savor and understand? Well, there's more to it than that. And just as leadership is never easy, so much so legacy is never simple to discover all the layerings. But in this segment, I wanted to share with you a simple revision that I have been holding on to since 2022 and had begun to formulate in my thought process for a few years. But mind you, I want you to know, I don't believe it will actually be to fruition until 3009. So this isn't something that I expect the United States of America could actually see to fruition in the next election or even in the election period after that. This is something more of a forethought. And it still has much more process to go. But it is titled Thoughts for the Future of the Presidency. And I wrote it myself. Margarita Carrillo. The future of the presidency is in peril if the political parties don't stop and pause to recalibrate the electoral fundraising methodologies. The preponderance of the two-party system has been the beacon of strength for centuries, 
Yet it is clear that our democracy cannot sustain the changes that have been occurring via the fundraising wheelbarrow amassed by each party and subsequently political action committees who then filter portions to selected candidates. Because of the magnanimity of the pricing for candidacy ads, much of the messaging that actually arrives to the voting public is filtered such that the messaging can be seen as diluted and, moreover, diluting the message and the purpose of the campaign for responsible representation. It is therefore understood that by the year 3009, the Presidency of the United States of America will require a nonpartisan head of state, meaning the person elected into the responsibility will be required to file their candidacy and meet guidelines of a nonpartisan responsibility to the role. Rationale behind this transformational change to the Constitution is suitable considering the nonsensical bantering that occurs between the largest parties, which can do more to dilute representation than strengthen it. And as you can see, this is the end of thought, as you can see, it is the beginning of what I feel is a succinct change to the process that results in the presidency of the United States of America because it establishes that every president would be required to be nonpartisan in his or her or of course, depending on their pronoun of choice, representation. Because what one needs to understand is, regardless of how they choose to fundraise, because there still will be parties, political parties, that ask them to align with them for fundraising efforts, endorsements, and so on and so forth. But when it arrives at the point of actually sitting in the office of the presidency and taking oath as president, they should determine that they are responsible enough to be nonpartisan. What does that mean? Let me clarify for a moment. This isn't something completely nuanced or out of the realm of possibility. There are people who already serve in leadership capacities 
such as on educational boards, who are required to be nonpartisan. By virtue of what they represent, they need to be nonpartisan, regardless of what their personal beliefs are. The ability to compartmentalize at the moment when they are voting on certain subjects is essential to true leadership. Not that that means that the presidency has not in its historical past not been strong in its leadership. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that it actually has the ability to strengthen itself even more because what has been witnessed by so many changes legislatively, judicially, through many decisions in the courts is that many political action committees are leveraging their way behind the scenes. And empowering themselves in ways unbeknownst to many that are by no means transparent and what is actually necessary, particularly in places where funding goes to the public, is transparency, accountability. And so it would be even more so important for those individuals who choose to be in elected office, such as the office of the presidency, to be nonpartisan. And that's why I believe it's a good place to begin. It does require a constitutional change. This is why I think the year 3009 is enough time for the United States of America to prepare for such change. Because this isn't going to take pennies and quarters, nickels and dimes. This is monumental, astronomical. If you have any thoughts about this, do let me know. This is your host, 
Margarita with the Dewpoint Report, the digital electronic World Point Report. And as you know, as your hostess, I really do enjoy providing you with succinct information that is relevant, invigorating, and that does tell you not just what is happening right now, but what is a little bit about the future. And that is some innovation, wouldn't you say? <laughs>